Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Correction, please turn to Jeremiah first. I'm adding an Old Testament reading and shortening the New Testament by a little bit. Jeremiah 23, page 651, if you are in the church Bible. Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning at verse 9 through verse 22, we learn so much here about the false prophets. And then we will go to the Sermon on the Mount and hear our Lord's teaching. Jeremiah 23, verse 9. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me, all my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine, because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers, because of the curse the land mourns, and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil, and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria... I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked, the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds." Now turn to Matthew 7. Beginning at verse 15 through verse 20. 
Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are, ra- are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, we pray at the public reading and preaching of your word that we would hear you, O Lord, that we would hear the true prophet of your people, our Lord Jesus Christ, prophet of prophets, and that hearing him, we would be turned, turned away from evil and turned to the Lord, to salvation, that we would not take the comfort the false prophets are selling. Oh, gracious Lord, we pray that your people would hear and live. Oh, gracious Lord, help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, our text tonight is Matthew seven fifteen through 20. And as you heard it read, you heard of three kinds of people. Three kinds of people in this text. One is a bit more subtle than the other two. First, there are those who are false prophets. These are wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing. These are people who present themselves as belonging to the church, but they really only have come near to the church to use the church to satisfy their own appetites. So they have to be called prophets. It's a church word. It's a kingdom word. That's a word that reminds us that they all are being falsifications of Jesus Christ, the true prophet. So they are called prophets, but they are false. Secondly, there are those who are not false prophets, and these do very well recognizing those who are. This is the more subtle category. These people are not naive nor easily misled. They understand the church is in a conflict with the world, with the devil, with the flesh. And this group is alert. They have paid attention to their doctrine. They have been catechized. They think of their catechism more seriously than they think about their cholesterol medicine. They know it is urgent to life. These are the folks who are on the lookout for wolves. They are sheep through and through but they have a sensitive diet. They won't eat just anything that is given to them on the theological table of our times. Then there's the third kind of people in our text. These folks are not false prophets, but they are not doing well watching out for those who are. This is the target group of our Lord's teaching. Our Lord teaches what he teaches to address this group so that they might become the second group that we just heard about. They are not false prophets, but they are not doing well watching out for those who are. So this group is easily misled. 
They are not careful about the books they read, nor are they careful about the books they give to the church library, nor is this group careful about the preachers they enjoy, nor are they careful about listening to the preacher they have, nor is this group clear on what godliness is. In fact, this group can be easily manipulated by strong personalities or by needy personalities or by popular personalities. This group is the group in the greatest danger of being devoured by the first group, the wolves. Well, let's go back then to the beginning, to the wolves, and get a better look at these wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, the first thing our Lord Jesus wants us to know about these wolves is that they are false prophets. By calling them prophets, Jesus is warning us these people will come near the church with a kind of authority. They may be church officers. They may be Sunday school teachers. They may be platformed teachers at conferences. They may be pastors. And as is true to the word authority, they may be authors. Authors of Christian books, of Christian blogs, of Christian articles, of Christian journals. These wolves in sheep's clothing are not far from the church. They are near to it. That's why our Lord calls them false prophets. And they are not likely to be that simple old Christian who lives a few houses down from yours. These false prophets are more likely to be the author of the book you were given for Christmas from a co-worker. These people are more likely to be somebody that your family, maybe half of your family, all over the country watches on Christian television. These people are much more likely to be a popular parachurch ministry leader, even in the Fox Cities. These wolves in sheep's clothing are not far from the church, but near. But bottom line, they are false prophets, whoever they are. They look like sheep, our Lord says, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They present themselves as on the same side as the sheep, dress up like sheep, as on the same side as God, as in favor of theology, as in favor of salvation, as in favor of morality, as in favor of God's law, as in favor of eternal life. But who they really are is hidden, as is what they really want. Jesus says inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They have a strong appetite to use the church and use theology and use virtue and use good works and use charity. Use some of it or use all of it to satisfy a wicked hunger within them, Jesus says. And what is this deep hunger? It is a hunger to indulge themselves. Listen as Jesus uses this same word inwardly, same Greek word, 
He uses it in Matthew 23, 25, while speaking of the Pharisees. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Matthew 23, 25. Then in John 7, 18, Jesus compares himself, the true prophet of God, he compares himself to the false prophets that he has found in Jerusalem. He says in John 7, 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. That's the false prophet. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. That's Jesus Christ, the eternal son of the eternal father. So this is the ravenous hunger. The ravenous hunger of the false prophets is self-glory and self-indulgence. They either wish to make a name for themselves through all the accessories of the church or create a following for themselves through all the accessories of the church or create an excuse or justification for their secret life of lawlessness using all the accessories of the church. One of the top evangelists in the Western world was doing this very thing for many years, using his oratorical skills, his authorship of many books, his filling stadiums, and his humble exterior demeanor, using all of it to hide a life of lawlessness of the worst order. And it all came tumbling out after he died. And I found the last book from him in my library this weekend, and we disposed of it. Because I can't share it with anybody. I can only share his tale as a cautionary tale. So these ravenous wolves are after self-glory and self-indulgence, but using all of the accessories of the church. And you might ask, well, why can't they pursue self-glory and self-indulgence outside the church? They are deceived. They are still trying to create a new religion where there is both salvation and eternal life and the enjoyment of sin. It's a religion that's antithetical to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, but it's one that they are deceived in thinking that they can will it into being. And as we said this morning, that God will somehow cooperate. It's the deception of self-autonomy, self-indulgence, and self-glory. So this is the ravenous hunger. Now the way to self-glory, the way to self-indulgence may be different for these false prophets. They may not all be doing the same thing. They may not all be hiding behind a a smokescreen of religion to practice a secret lawlessness. They may not all be crafting a, a new theological structure that justifies their perversions. But what is this, what they have in common as false prophets is that they all come to the church as an authority of some kind and use the instrument of speech, teaching, preaching, writing, to satisfy their ravenous appetite. 
So I don't recommend that you use the charge false prophet with your neighbor Bob because he said something theologically incorrect. Bob may be under the sway of a false prophet, but take him upstream. Find out where he learned what he seems to be so committed to. And if you take time with Bob, you may soon realize that what Bob said yesterday, he says completely differently tomorrow because he's really not committed to it. But false prophets are usually people who are in a place of authority or at least present themselves to be an authority. They've written a book. They're behind a lectern. They're on YouTube. They have credentials, sometimes, not always. Now, before we move out of verse 15, we must say a word about the word beware. And don't be frightened that we're still in verse 15. The next few verses go quickly because they're so simple and straightforward. Not that the rest of the text isn't. Don't always assume the preacher is suggesting the inverse when he says something like that. So verse 15, the first word, beware. Beware. This is our Lord's command. This is the imperative of the text. Meaning, pay attention. Be cautious. Don't relax and get drowsy. Stay alert. Avoid danger. Don't become meat or a meal for the ravenous wolves. Beware. At the most basic level for every child in this room, every adult in this room, every new Christian in this room, at the very most basic level, that imperative command at the beginning of verse 15 means you will have to abandon all your wishes for a pleasant, easy, and sleepy kind of Christianity. There isn't any such Christianity. Christ gives us no such life of faith as that. It is a fiction that there is a mindless and drowsy Christianity out there for those who might want it, and that they will somehow not get devoured. That's a fiction. There is no such thing. Beloved, there is a part of our Christian faith that is always in conflict. Praise God. Our conflict should not be with one another. And our conflict certainly is not with God. That's not the part that's always in conflict. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1. We're not in conflict with God. Our conflict is not with God's redeeming love. That is settled. That has gone through the grave and gone to the sky, and is enthroned in glory and victory. Redeeming love in Jesus Christ is not a point of contention for the child of God or the church of God. But we are in conflict, yet, with our own sin, and for our purposes and our text, we are in conflict with false prophets to the very end of the age. Paul stated this conflict plainly to church elders in Acts 20, 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. 
Peter also stated this conflict plainly in his second letter, chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. Jude also stated this conflict plainly. Jude, verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Conflict is the terrain. The church is going to be at war until the end of the age. Not at war with the body of Christ, but at war with false teachers. We don't use the weapons of the flesh. We use prayer and truth. But we are going to be at war. And so when we hear Jesus say, beware, we have to right there commit ourselves afresh Every day, every year, we have to commit ourselves that this is not going to be soft and easy. This is going to be difficult at times. The Lord will measure out seasons of peace and quiet, but the conflict will not be put in a drawer and put away forever until the last day. Now, what do we have in verses 16 through 20? We have a simple yet always true method there for testing if a prophet is true or false. That's what we have in verse 16 through 20. An always accurate method for testing if a prophet is true or false. Jesus says quite plainly, you will recognize them by their fruits. That's the test. Why is this test so effective? Because if good fruit is there, grapes and figs, our Lord says, if good fruit is there, you can be sure the tree is healthy. If bad fruit is there, you can be sure the tree is diseased. It's a very simple test, isn't it? The roots of a tree may be hidden, The rot may be behind the bark, but the fruit of a tree will reveal what kind of tree we really are looking at. Same with a teacher, a preacher, or a writer. What they teach and how they live, what they teach and how they live, those are the fruits. That will tell you the truth about them far better than what they themselves will tell you about themselves. The false prophets in Jerusalem in the days of our Lord, he said to them, you will tell me that you are children of Abraham. You will make the good confession that you know 
to whom you belong and you know who the patriarch is and you know what God had promised him. You will tell me that. But I tell you that you are dead men in white sepulchers. Your father's the devil. Jesus could easily discern their fruit because they were not telling, this is their teaching, they were not telling anyone what John the Baptist told everyone. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Somebody cannot declare that, they are a false prophet. If somebody cannot say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh, they are a false prophet. We can tell from the fruit that comes out of their mouth and the conduct, of course, also of their life. One of the other will be evident. Now, <clears throat> Jesus does not say you will recognize false prophets by their failed predictions. Moses says that. But here, our Lord doesn't say that. Not because he's excluding now what Moses had already said. Our Lord doesn't say it because telling the future was a very small feature of a prophet's ministry. And we would even make the case that that particular kind of prophetic work ceased in the completion of biblical revelation. A more common feature of all the prophets throughout all time was giving religious instruction, declaring to people what God's will for them was. And you heard that in the reading from Jeremiah. The false prophets that Jeremiah was penning to the wall were men of authority who would not tell people doing evil to stop doing evil. They were men of authority in Jeremiah's day who were telling people who were doing evil, don't worry, there's no judgment coming. You're going to be okay. They are false prophets because they were encouraging people to continue in doing that which was not the will of God. Now, a couple things here in application before we leave, before we finish. I want to talk about a couple false prophets of our times. And if you're hoping that I was going to name somebody, I'm going to disappoint you. I don't mind naming people, but I'm not doing that tonight. I want to talk about a class of false prophets, which have many names, living and dead, contemporary and old. Some of these are much more recent, or at least much more loud than they were before. There is a group of false prophets who are harassing the church today, who are elevating and promoting the authority of the psychological self over the word of God. These false prophets are telling the church that what you feel inside is more true and more important than what God has made you. They are telling the church that what you feel inside is more true and important 
than what God says about you. They are putting a wedge between the word of God and the palpable interior feelings of the psychological self. And they are elevating the psychological self over the word of God and the work of God in the creation of man and woman. In Matthew 19.4, our Lord says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Even that one verse is a metaphysical anchor in a sea of error, in a sea of confusion, in a sea of foolishness. The Lord Jesus, have you not read? Meaning, God has given this to you for ages. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? The false prophets, though, they are trying to pull that anchor up. They are trying to pull that anchor up and set the ship adrift. These false prophets will encourage you to let your inner psychological self become the highest authority in determining who you are. And so we have people who identify themselves now as gay Christian ministers. They have not only received the ministry of the false prophets, but they are now propagating it. God's authority as sovereign creator, as the always good and wise God, is pushed out of the center and stripped from the circumference. And the inner self is put as center and circumference. The inner self is claimed to be the true authority and not the word of God or the work of God. Now, this, of course, might sound new to you. And in some ways, there's features of it that are new, but there's always a more profound feature that's old. And you heard Jeremiah speak of it when he was talking about the false prophets. Jeremiah said in 23:17, They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Stubbornly following our own heart. That might feel good. That might feel most pure and honest in a weird psychological way. But following our own hearts takes us away from God. It actually makes us orphans in a world that is beautiful and good and stamped with the metaphysical truth of a creator. The false prophets who elevate the authority of the psychological self encourage you to adopt and celebrate a new identity that comes not from the word of God, but comes from within, but wasn't even there a year ago. It was written there by the prophets of a dying culture. Written there recently. These false prophets do not take the struggle with sin seriously. Just like Jeremiah said, they don't. Now, of course, they say that they do. And this is one of their 
effective moves. They say they alone take the struggle seriously because they have documented all the confusion and all the torment of living in a world where the truth of human nature and human sexuality is hard to find. And we don't deny that there is great confusion and psychological turmoil in this age and in every age. This is a, we confess a biblical anthropology. We recognize that there's trouble in the soul of men. But the solution isn't to stop calling it trouble and call it light. We know that these false prophets don't take this struggle seriously because they don't, they won't call it sin. They won't call it evil. They won't warn of of what shall come if you turn and keep walking away from God's word and let Satan tell you what to believe and false prophets tell you what to believe. If they took the struggle with sin seriously, they would warn everyone, just as Jeremiah said, but they won't. They want to say, let the self triumph. Nothing will harm you. You'll be okay. God approves. That's the first category of false prophets that I wanted to speak to briefly. The second is much closer to our current text. What we heard tonight in verses 15 through 20 is coming near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus putting a little didactic passage in here about false prophets at the end of the Sermon on the Mount should send us back into the sermon to find out why. What is he talking about more locally when he refers to these fruits? Beloved, he is talking about the false prophets of the Pharisees whose standard of righteousness, if you remember from Matthew 5, was a false standard of righteousness. Remember the Lord said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God? And then what did our Lord Jesus do? He went through the teachings of the Pharisees and exposed it as external and shallow. Their righteousness lived on the outside of men, and they kept righteousness from the inside. Jesus comes and pushes the standard of God's righteousness into the heart. He doesn't just talk about adultery. He talks about lust. He doesn't just talk about murder. He talks about anger. And he says the same heart that murders with the knife is the same heart that is full of rage and grinding of teeth towards the wife. And our Lord Jesus goes through and he says, in my kingdom where I have made men new and give them my spirit and unite them to my own life, they have a righteousness as it should have always been 
inside and outside righteousness, inward and outward. So what does this have to do with the false prophets of our times? I will tell you. I'm so glad you asked. There are false prophets harassing the church of Jesus Christ today who tell us that the standard of righteousness of the Sermon on the Mount is not the standard of righteousness. Now, they won't say it in the exact sentence I just said it. They will say it in a much clever way, like this. I sat down and watched a video interview with a very popular pastor. He spent an hour talking about what is a real man, And he never mentioned the name of Jesus. He made fun of all of the Beatitudes without, of course, saying, let's turn to your Bible in Matthew 5, and I want to make fun of the Beatitudes. He made fun of all the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, pure in heart, poor in spirit, meek, mourning, hungry and thirsty, merciful. He made fun of that kind of man and created a caricature of a man who was bold and brash and strong and brazen. And he never mentioned Jesus Christ as the model of masculinity. He is not the only false prophet who's advancing this folly. There are Christian men who are under the sway of these prophets who reject meekness, reject poverty of spirit, all without overtly saying it, but listen to their teaching. They, too, are to be numbered among the false prophets. They are actually pushing back to a righteousness that is outward and not inward. They should be rejected. Now, if you want my receipts on any of the things I said, I'd be glad to share them. And that's a metaphor. I don't have real receipts. But if you want my footnotes, I am not trying to get you angry at any particular people. I'm actually trying to show you what's false and what's alive in the, in the air in which we live and move today. I have good news. We have a true prophet. We have a true prophet who, whose fruit is impeccable. It's lush. There's no rot in it. You can bite into it without hesitation. His teaching is sweet and right and pointed and perfect. And his offers of goodness and salvation to wicked, wretched people is grand and eternal. Jeremiah 23, 22 said that a true prophet, if he had spent time And the counsel of the Lord would have gone out and spoken for the Lord and turned 
the people from their evil way and from their evil deeds. Jeremiah 23, 22. Beloved, the man of heaven, the prophet of prophets, the prophet upon whom every earthly prophet was based, the man from heaven, Jesus Christ, has come and he has spoken to the earth. And he speaks to even those who are under the darkening harassment of false prophets. He speaks to them all. And he says, turn from your evil ways. Draw near to me. I do not come to crush you. I come to be crushed for these lies. I come to be crushed for your believing the lies of these prophets and not worshiping God truly and in spirit. I come to bear it all, but listen to me. I am the way of life. I tell the truth of what a man is, of what a woman is. I will lead you out of the works of the devil, for I have come to break them. He is our Lord Jesus Christ, the prophet of prophets. Let us pray. Father, we do pray that we would believe the words of your holy book, the word of God, and believing it, that it would be not just upon the edge of our heart or the edge of our mind and not quickly forgotten, but planted in the center. Let it be a light to us. Let it radiate forth. Let it lead to a consecration of our lives and our minds to the very things of Jesus Christ. Let us draw ever so near to him. There is no safety away from him. Lord, there is no truth apart from him. We pray, Father God, that we would shake off any hope that we might find a kind of Christianity different than the one that Christ has given a drowsy, sleepy, easy Christianity. Help us shake it off and return to our Bibles, to return to our hearing of the word preached, to return to the sacraments, to return to the communion of saints, to return to the confessions of our church. Help us shake it off, O Lord, and help us stand firm. Meet out to us seasons of peace and quiet and seasons of readiness and even, if necessary, war. But keep us from taking up the weapons of the flesh. We pray, O Lord, that we would indeed put on the armor of God, and through prayer and faith and through the blessings of the new man in the creation of Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, that we would endure to the very end. In Jesus' name, amen.